This morning we'll be in several Proverbs. Uh, there are several verses that come from the 23rd, pro- 23rd chapter of Proverbs. So if you want to turn, you can turn to the 23rd chapter. And this morning um, I, I, I wanted to preach something um, kind of humorous because I didn't think you'd take me seriously in this uh, get-up. It's really hard to take someone seriously when their hair is every different color. But, um, but as it turns out, God has led me uh, toward talking about the family. We Family relationships are so, so vital. If there's one avenue of life where people get the most contentment or feel the most stress or have the most pain, all of those things are in the family. In fact, all of them sometimes at the same time. Um, you've been at a family reunion where the tension is so thick that you couldn't cut it with a steak knife. Um, But you've also been at those times where you've been laughing around the living room, folks sitting around and and cutting up and having fun, and it's the best of times. And sometimes it's the worst of times. That goes along with being family, right? In fact, we were talking the other day, we were talking about this church, and and I asked the question, what, what comes to mind when you think of this church? What describes this church? And it's almost unanimously family. This is a family. And, and families have this kind of dynamic where, where you, you feel a little bit better. Um, y'all, y'all have heard certain people say, I could never do this, except that y'all are family. I could never do what I do, but because you're family, I can do it. I can serve this way or I can give this way because you're family. Um, and so this morning, I want us to focus in those relationships of family. Some of this stuff will apply in the general church realm, but most of it's going to apply in the nuclear home. In fact, I find two primary types of relationships that that Solomon deals with in the Proverbs. One is between the parent and the child, and one is between the husband and the wife. And so we're going to talk about what it means for parents and children to love each other. We need wisdom, and God's Word gives us that everyday wisdom that we need for loving our families, wisdom that helps us love our spouses and raise our children in godly ways. So let's look at how we love one another in the home, starting with parents and children. I find a couple of ways that parents show their children love, and one particular way that children show their parents. And the first of those, let's go parents first, because I think it's our responsibility as parents to lead the way. And so some of you are going to say, well, my kids are all grown. Doesn't matter, you can still do these kinds of things. Some of you are going to say, well, I have great-grandchildren, or I have grandchildren. Some of these things still apply there, too. Let's see what God's Word has to say. First of all, parents love their children by bringing discipline. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, great, he's going to talk about spanking. Discipline is not spanking, though sometimes it is spanking. Discipline is much more than spanking. The Hebrew word includes education and instruction. It's positive and it's negative. It's something that redirects from wrong, but also directs toward right. And so it is instruction as well as correction. It is teaching as well as rebuking. It is chastising, but it's also rehabilitation. It's both and. It's positive and it's negative. Sometimes, yes, it involves spanking, but most of the time it involves much different things. Because if we're honest with ourselves, if you just keep hitting the child, that ain't going to work. Discipline requires a fully faceted approach. 
no, we, we have these issues of, like, we just want to do one thing, one thing, one size fits all. You know what I found out in doing this clown suit thing? One size does not fit all. I am bigger than one size fits all. It should say one size fits half. One size does not fit all with, it, with discipline either. And that's the strange thing, because the way you discipline one child doesn't work for another child, but the way you discipline this child doesn't work for that child. You have to relearn. And then, as if that wasn't hard enough, give them three or four years, and they're completely different, and you got to relearn again, because they're in a completely different status in life. And so discipline is something that parents do to show love to their children, and it does both. It corrects them when they're wrong, and it builds them up in the right. Listen, listen to what he says in Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Not only will he not die if you give him discipline, you will save him from death if you give him discipline. Sheol is the place of death. It's the grave. You are keeping your child away from danger that can harm them or even kill them. How many times have you seen a parent snatch a toddler who's running in a parking lot? How many times have you seen discipline that's not just because you're doing something I don't like, but it's because you're doing something that will hurt you? Don't touch that stove. You pop that hand, it's a whole lot better than burning that hand, You see, a lot of times children run into danger. Discipline helps save them from danger. Sometimes the things they're doing right now aren't necessarily dangerous, but what they lead to are dangerous. Hanging around the wrong friend eventually leads to doing wrong things and can lead down a bad road. Sometimes we see that danger, we discipline from that danger. Don't, don't spare the rod thinking that you're going to save his life. No, you're going you're gonna to lead him into danger. If you discipline your child, it can help keep him from what will harm or destroy him. And as I said, it's positive and it's negative. Discipline does involve spanking sometimes, but it also involves the racer on a pencil. Here, that's not right. Let's try again. Sometimes it involves that gentle but firm reminder that you still need to do your chores. You still have to clean your room. No, you can't do that until you... Discipline is also that that parent who's coaching. Here, here, hold your bat this way. Don't, 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 don't hold your bat. No, put your hands like this. Here, spread your feet like this. That's discipline. All of that is encompassed in this idea. Don't, don't withhold discipline. If you love them, give them discipline. Proverbs nineteen eighteen. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Hope is not knock on wood, cross your fingers, and maybe everything will turn out okay. Hope is an anticipation of a certain future. You know it's going to happen. You know that this is the way that it needs to be, and so you're willing to discipline your son because you see beyond the problems, and you see the future, and you know that they can do something great. But sometimes they just got to get it through their thick head that this ain't the way. You discipline so that you can get them past the mistakes and past the failures. It doesn't mean that they're they're never going to fail. They need to fail. But discipline takes failure and turns it into success because you teach them how to keep on. You teach them how to look at new ways of solving the problem. You teach them how to move past failure, to keep trying and never give up. That's discipline. 
All of these things together shape the child. All of these things together are how we love our children. Here's a proverb that's often misquoted. In fact, I heard it sometimes. I don't remember what show it was. It was one of those Sally Jesse Raphael shows or, or Ricky Lake or, or Maury Povich or something like that. Um, but someone said, well, you know, the Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child. Look at what the Bible actually says. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. Raise your hand if you hate your son. By the way, this does apply to daughters too. Let me just make that clear. Yeah, no, we our children, do we? You do if you don't discipline. A lack of discipline. A lack of discipline. How, how are they going to know the right way if you don't? Kids have so much energy and passion. They ain't got a clue where to put it. They don't. Discipline directs them in the right way. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. By the way, you know what the rod was most used for by shepherds? Shepherd had a rod and a staff. You know what the rod was used for? You can, you can talk, it's okay. What was the rod used for? Sometimes. Mostly the staff was used for that. You know what the rod was used for? Lions. The rod was an instrument of protection. Now sometimes, you know, you got it, you use it for certain things, but most of the time it was used to protect the flock. It's a means of protection. Discipline protects our children. It's one of our love for them. It's a positive and a negative. Whoever loves his son or his daughter. Look at the second part of that verse. He who loves him is diligent to discipline him. They make it a top priority. It's not just, it's not just, well, I have to do that, so I'll get around to it sometime. No, 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 no. The main point of parenting is to raise a child who's ready to be a man or a woman of God. That's the point. The point is not to have well-behaved kids. The point is not to have kids who are good kids. The point is to have kids that become good women. And the way that happens is discipline. Another famous proverb, Proverbs 22. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This verse, some people look at this as a guarantee, and then the child doesn't do what they're supposed to do, and they weep and wail and say, oh, what did I do wrong? Two things about that. First of all, did you really train him up in the way he should go? We'll talk more about that in a second. But first, but, but the second thing, this isn't a guarantee. This isn't one size fits all. But I guarantee you, if you are doing the right thing, if you are setting before them evil, if you are disciplining them and leading them and leading them, I promise you, they will have to buck hard against you to go the wrong way. Because you are making it so easy. I have a, a theory at work. I do salads and um, fruit cups, things like that. I make those. And, and when I put them out, I have this rule. The rule is to make it as easy as possible for other people not to screw up. And here's what I mean. Those salads are only good for so many, so long before they start going bad. Lettuce starts to wilt. Things don't taste right. And so, you know, we have quality standards. And after a certain amount of time, they're not going to meet quality standards anymore. And so what I do is I put all of the stuff that needs to get sold first in front where it's easiest to get. And then all the stuff that doesn't need to be sold first, that, that's fresher and that can wait a little bit longer, goes behind it. My rule of thumb is if I can, if you are as lazy as possible, I set it up so you'll do the right thing. It's not quite foolproof. 
I mean, they just build a better fool. Um, <laughs> so you, you can't make it foolproof. But if I can make it as easy as possible for them to do the right thing, most of the time they're going to do the right thing. Guess what it is with kids? When you train them up in the way you should go, they, it makes it as easy as possible for them to do the right thing. Have you ever tried to drive a wagon? Anybody ever done that? Okay. You have? Have you ever tried to drive one right next to a rut, but not in the rut? No. It's really hard. It's much easier to get into the rut that's already been made. So for those of you who don't know, wagons make ruts when they drive on the same path over and over again. The, 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 road, the road starts to dip where those wheels go because it gets compressed, okay? Those are ruts, right? It is so much harder to stay just outside the rut. Or let's, let's think of it this way. If you've ever drilled a hole in a wood, but you missed the hole by like an eighth of an inch, you know how hard it is to drill a new hole just barely next to the old hole where there's like no space? It's, it's impossible. Your drill keeps wanting to fall into the old hole. That's what I'm talking about here. If you can teach your child the right way, train them the right way, it will, it will not make them but it will sure make it a lot easier for them to do the right thing. You're setting them up on a path for success. Sometimes they're just knuckleheads, but you're setting them up. And it's not our job to force our It's our job to lead them. That leads us to the second way that we love our children. Not only do we love them by bringing discipline, we also love them by being disciplined. How are you going to discipline a child if you're not disciplined yourself? Look with me in Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Check this out. And his children will have a refuge. When we are fearing God, when we are putting God first, our children have some place to go. They have a safe place. People talk about schools being safe places. There, there, unfortunately, there is a need for some children to have a safe place to go to. My kids have a safe place in our home. I do everything I can to make sure they have a safe place right with me. And that comes from me being disciplined. That comes from me fearing the Lord. That comes from me following in God's commands. Because if I'm doing the right thing, the right thing. I can't get them to do the right thing if I'm not showing it myself. Right? Do as I say, not as I That doesn't work. Do as I do. That works. Paul says, mimic me as I mimic Christ. That's the way. Proverbs 13, or 27, excuse me, 20, verse 7. Right, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. You want to know who is blessed as a child? It's the one who has a father who's walking in his integrity. It's the one who has a mother who is walking in her integrity. You want to have a blessed child, you be a righteous father, a righteous mother. That that discipline that you apply to yourself. And how do you discipline yourself? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self. It's a work that God does in you. What's so interesting to me is if you look through the Old Testament, you see God disciplining people, God leading His people, guiding His people. He's a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night, leading people through the wilderness. He gives them instruction through His prophets. Men who hear the words of God and declare them before the people to lead them in the right way. He gives them commandments. Ten commandments and then a whole bunch of other laws to follow. He shows them the way. He guides them the way. But in the New Testament, in the New Testament, you see Jesus 
start this turn. He's not just one that's being led by God somewhere else. He is God. And so he's starting to do the discipline thing himself as God is working through him. You can do that when you are God. It's, it's a little... But then when he goes up into heaven and God's spirit falls on the day of Pentecost, suddenly now God is in us and God can begin to work from inside to do the thing that we cannot do And now you see things like train yourself up for godliness. How can you do that? God working in you. See, this is is one of the coolest things about Scripture. In the Old Testament, God is leading His people from without. He's among them. He's in their midst. But in the New Testament, is in His people. Do Do you see how that makes a difference with discipline? Wisdom helps us as parents to have the discipline we and to instill it in our kids. And that's how we love them. Now, there are other ways. There are other things. But the writer of Proverbs so concerned parents being disciplined and disciplining their children. That's almost the thing he focuses on. So how do children reciprocate that? How do children give that love back? Children love their parents by obedience. This is not just blind obedience to whatever they say, no matter how bad it is. This is obedience that's directed from, from a godliness. When a parent is being who they need to be and is disciplining their child the right way, that child responds in love by following his father and mother. Listen to your father who gave you life, Proverbs 23, 20. And do not despise your mother when she is old. Listen. Listen, it does not just mean hear what he says does not just mean be able to repeat it back to them. Listen means following through with it. Applying. Listen to what your father says. Proverbs, uh, just, just two verses later. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Do, do you see? He says, he says if... It, the, the, the one who has a son or daughter who is doing what's right is rejoicing. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. How many times has it brought you joy to see your children doing well? Man, I love it when I see my kids doing well. James plays baseball. When he gets a good hit, makes a good throw, makes a great play, man, I get all excited. I can't help it. When Mitchell is doing something, and he does exceeding well at it, like when he's playing soccer, scores a goal, man, I, 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 feel like, I feel like I grow like a foot in my chest, like my chest. I get excited. I feel, I feel like my head's going to explode. I mean, it just gets huge. It's like, of course, it's already huge, but that's, that's another point. When they are doing something good, it makes me proud. How much more proud do I get when James or Mitchell or Brantley or Savannah is showing the characteristics of godliness. Savannah wanted to her bunny to sleep last night. Oh. Not just because it's cute, it's cute. But she wants to show love that she's being shown. That's pretty cool. See, the father of the righteous and the mother too will greatly rejoice. Let them be glad. Let them be glad. In other words, be righteous. Make your parents proud. You ever heard that phrase? Make your parents proud. Mom or dad looks down on you from who have lost your parents. Make them proud. 
Those of you who still got them alive, make them proud. Do what's right. Children love their parents by obeying, by listening to what they say. Proverbs 15.5 puts it in kind of a converse. A fool despises his father's instruction. But whoever heeds reproof, don't be the fool. Be wise enough to listen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Not only does Solomon tell us about parents and children, he also tells us about husbands and How do spouses love each other? Now, there are a thousand different ways that this happens. There's a couple specifically that he points out in the Proverbs. First, spouses love by committing to each other. Look at Proverbs 5.15. Now, this whole, this whole chapter, and in fact, really three chapters, because five, uh, 5, 6, and 7 all revolve around this theme of avoiding the forbidden woman. And in the middle of 5, he stops with the negative side of that. Avoid the forbidden woman. And he turns to what you do have. And he says, drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. In, in, in another book, in the Song of Songs, he would put it something like this. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Down in verse 18 and 19 of this same chapter. In verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. At the end of verse 19, he says, be intoxicated always by her love. In other words, spouses commit to another. They don't let other things get in the way. Those other things can be a toddler trying to get between you while you're hugging your spouse. We have that happen all the time. Kids, kids see me and Karen and they think, oh, oh, I'm supposed to be in the middle. So they like get in there and try to squeeze in. Spouses don't let... Now there's times to focus on them, but there's times to focus on them. We commit to one another. We love not because it's easy, but because we're committed. And that's the great thing about it. Commitment breeds more love. I've heard of people who, um, who have arranged marriages and they have such a low divorce rate, those societies. And part of that is the stigma of divorce, but part of that is also the fact that, and, I, and I've heard older couples say this, that even with an arranged marriage, you start with the commitment. And it's amazing how that works. If you're committed to something, you're going to do what it takes. And through doing what it takes, Things develop so that it's not just a begrudging, it becomes love. It's kind of amazing. Part of committing to one another is the commitment not to fight with one another. Proverbs 19.3, a foolish son is ruined to his father. Look at the second half. And a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. Chapter 27, verses 15 and 16, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome alike to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Proverbs 25, 24. It's better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 21, 9. Same words. Would you switch me to pulpit, please? I think this mic is going out. Thank you. There we go. We like to think, oh, well, the quarrelsome wife, yes. Yes, yes, Lord, preach it. 
Quarrelsome husbands are just as bad, if not worse. In fact, he says as much. Proverbs 26, 21. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. You want to get into a fight? Get with someone who just wants to argue. You know anybody like that? You know anybody that just wants to argue? They don't care what it's about, why. They don't care. Sky is blue. No, it's not as green. I mean, they just want to argue up and down, left and right. Doesn't matter what it's about. Doesn't matter if they're right or wrong. Doesn't matter any of that. They just put wood on the fire, make it burn hotter, don't they? And they just keep adding. Uh, a man of wealth, stir of wrath, excuse me, not wealth. A man of wrath stirs up strife. And one given to anger causes much transgression. Y'all, doesn't matter whether it's a quarrelsome husband, or a quarrelsome wife. You just don't want to be around them, do you? Part of the commitment, part of the, the committing to each other is committing not to be quarrelsome. Sometimes that means saying, okay, I, I disagree with you. We see things a little differently, but I love you enough. I'm committed to you that I'm not going to let this separate us. That's also known as yes, ma'am. That's also known as, okay, we'll do things your way. Now, that doesn't mean you do it half-heartedly, it fails, and then you say, see, I told you it wouldn't work. I was in a leadership meeting one time, and uh, the person said, what we do is we argue here, and once we come to a consensus, we fully commit before we go out there. In other words, that we as a team might disagree on how to go about fixing this problem or addressing this issue or, or take what next step to take, but once we're in agreement here, once we decide on a way, we leave here fully committed to doing that way. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But it won't be because we didn't try. That's the kind of thing. That's the kind of commitment to one another that marriages need. You know, I think we should do this. You think we should do that. We work out a compromise. We both fully commit to it. And if it works, wonderful. If it doesn't work, what went wrong? How can we do better? When you have that kind of approach in marriage, you're loving your spouse. It's not just about giving in to whatever they want, no matter how badly you're against it. It's about working through it together. I'm committed to you, not just, not just I'll do what I want to do, you do what you want to do, and somehow we'll at least make it through the next day. No, I'm committed to you, and we're doing this together. There's something else that we do to love our spouses. Spouses love each other not only by committing to one another, but by recognizing God's gift. And you know what God's gift is to every husband? His wife. Listen to Proverbs 18.22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I'm going to switch the words here. He who finds a husband finds a good thing and obtains favor for the Lord. She who, sorry, when you find a spouse, that's God's gift. 1924, house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. This is why that beautiful hymn that talks about the, the woman in Proverbs 31, that, that wonderful wife, an excellent wife who can find, she's far more valuable than rubies. That's why it starts that way, because it's really hard. It's really hard to find a good one. But when you do, that's a gift from God. The person that you're married to, if 
For those of you who are married and your spouse is still alive, the person that you're married to is a gift from God. Sometimes it looks like a prank gift. But they are a gift from God. Really. I want to encourage us to do a couple things. I want to encourage us to love your family. Some of you, your family is far away, and it might involve telephone call. Some of you, your family is already passed on, and you may not have the opportunity to love them. I want to encourage you to show your parents love if you have them. Show your children love if you have them. Show your spouse love if you have them. Love your children by demonstrating discipline and by leading them in the right way. Love your parents by obeying them, listening to what they have to say. Love your, love your spouses by committing to them, no matter what, and by recognizing that they're God's gift. This morning I feel like this hasn't been an evangelistic sermon, but I, I got to tell you that the only way we love is because he first loved us. God showed his love for us in sending Christ to die on the cross, choosing to offer us not only eternal life, but a place in his family. If you've never asked Christ to be your Savior, I'm going to be up front, and I'd love to help you know how to do that. But if you have, this morning you may need to start showing love to your family by praying for them. Daryl told me in Sunday school, y'all were talking about praying and the importance of praying for one another. What we're going to do, and, and I always say this, but I especially want to stress it this morning. I think we really need to pray for each other, and especially our families. I'm going to open up the altar. And if you need prayer, if you need prayer for you or you have a family member that needs prayer and you're just, they're on your heart, you come up front. You come up front and pray. I'm going to leave the altar open. In fact, Miss Linda, would you just come quietly play? If God's put something on your heart, I'll be here to talk to, but even if you don't need to talk to somebody other than him, you just come pray. Pray for your parents or your children or your spouses. Pray for them. Lift them up before God. Ask God to help you love them in his way while Miss Linda plays.